Has it been good to be together today? Uh, to kind of get away and for at least an hour have our attention focused on God who's so much bigger and greater than any of our issues, whether they're good or bad this morning. <clears throat> it's been good. We can be assured that our God is listening and cares. And Luke wrote his gospel so that his readers, so that his friend Theophilus would be assured that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus read from Isaiah's passage, a prophecy that he was the sent one, that the Spirit of God was on him, and he came to be a deliverer. Luke wrote his gospel so his friends would mature in their commitment to follow me when Jesus invited them to follow, that they would follow, that they would go and make disciples as he commanded them. And as Jesus, in this book of Luke now, is headed toward the cross, he's intentionally focusing his instruction still on the crowds, still on those who opposed him, but especially on his disciples, because they were going to be the ones carrying on his work when he returned to heaven. He was giving them important kingdom truths. So I say all that just to remind us, why do we do a Luke series? Why do we study the book of Luke? So that we know that Jesus is God so that we know God, that he, Jesus is the sent one, the seeking Savior, so that we love Jesus, so that we understand how much he sacrificed and what he gave, and it'll motivate us in a deeper walk with him and understanding that what he did so that I could become, so that you could become his child and, and, and not be worms, but children of the king, heirs of salvation so that we would know God, love God, and serve God together, chosen to be his messengers, to show how Jesus cared that his people cared too, that they serve, that they love, that they share the gospel, the good hope. That's why we study Luke's gospel, in case that was a question. Jesus is fulfilling his mission as Savior. He's going to die for sin's payment. He's going to be raised to life. He's going to ascend as Lord of the church and the whole world. He's teaching his disciples very important truths. And back in chapter 10, a few verses, he says in verse 23, Blessed are your eyes that you see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and others wanted to see what you're seeing. I'm telling you these things. You're in a special position. Jesus is teaching his disciples some very precious truth. Last week we talked about how to relate to our neighbors. The Good Samaritan parable, relationship with our neighbors. Today we're going to be looking at how we can relate to Jesus, our relationship with our Savior, and also we're going to do a quick journey with relating to our Father in Heaven through the Lord's Prayer. Our key idea today is this. You got this? It's up on the screen, okay? <laughs> but one thing is necessary. That's what Jesus told Martha. But one thing, one thing is necessary. Do you know what it is? Being in God's presence. Listening and asking. It's about relationship. So let's look into it. Being in God's presence, listening. Uh, Judy read verses 38 through uh, 
42 of chapter 10. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. We don't really know the chronological order here. It's a little bit vague. We know that they lived uh, in, in Bethany, but he doesn't mention it here. So this might not be chronological, but there's a reason I think Luke put this story here and the Lord's Prayer. But especially this story, because right after the story of the Good Samaritan and that teaching about being a good neighbor, uh, we hear the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And right away, our minds naturally begin to think, wow, I've got to do something. Yeah, you're supposed to love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Go and do likewise, and we get burdened with this, but I've failed, and we, and we do fail. How can we? We fall short for all of sin and fall short of God's glory. We don't love God the way we should love God. We don't love our neighbors the way we should love our neighbors. We don't love one another the way we're supposed to love one another in the body of Christ. So we fail and we think, oh, I got to do more, I got to do more, but we can't by ourselves. The solution is humble belief. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're reminded how to be saved. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if you're in Christ, that means you believe that he's God and Savior. You become a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Did you hear that? All this is from God. You can be made new only through God working in you through Christ. It's through Christ who reconciled us who gave us the right position to give us the ministry of reconciliation so that God, through Christ, is reconciling the world, that is the world of people, to himself and then all of creation. Not counting our trespasses against us, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we become the ambassadors of God. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, that is, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here we have, how can we possibly love God and love our neighbor the way God has commanded us to do? We can't. But through Christ and his new life, the Holy Spirit that comes to us, this gift of forgiveness, we can God's commands are now written on your heart. They're not an external thing, they're an internal thing, and we're motivated to live by God. It's by God's grace so we can pursue following God. It's a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we often quote that in church. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Being in God's presence, the only way we can do that is by coming to God the Father through the appointed Savior, Jesus Christ. Mary and Martha were two of those followers. Two disciples, and by the way, note, they're women. Jesus lifted up women like no one 
other people did in his culture at that time. They were his disciples. They loved Jesus, and Jesus loved them. They both were believers. They both were seeking to honor Christ in this scene. Both loved him, and they rejoiced to see him. And God's grace was alive in Mary's heart, in Martha's heart. And Martha got busy being a great host. She wanted to honor Jesus in this special meal. And Mary honored Jesus by sitting at his feet and listening to him, by being with him. You've noticed that all God's sheep are very different, right? <laughs> Someone said, J.C. Rao, I believe that uh, the Lord's flock is like the trees in his garden. They're just this smorgasbord of different kinds of people. So don't despise one another over those differences. You know, there's some things you have to believe that we have to agree on about God the Father, about salvation, about Jesus Christ, and, and about serving him and what he's commanded us. But there's always going to be Marthas in the body of Christ. So for those of us who aren't like Martha, get used to it. And there's going to be others who are more like Mary, that kind of, uh, we assume, a little bit more... Uh, slow-paced, and, and, and sitting at Jesus' feet. You know, she was glad to see him, and there's going to be people like that. If you're not like that, get used to it. Some people are. See the beauty of it and embrace it. I love to think about it this way. If we were to have a Saturday morning breakfast for the women downstairs, what would that look like? compared to the men's Saturday morning breakfast a week later. <laughs> the women are going to dress it up. There's going to be centerpieces. There's going to be tablecloths. There might be fancy dishes with the food displayed in wonderful ways. And, and by the way, it's not just women who like that. I deeply appreciate that stuff. I just can't do it. But the men's breakfast, there's no tablecloths. The food's just there, right, in the boxes that we brought it in. <laughs> There might be a napkin, maybe paper plates. <laughs> Bring your own bottle of water or coffee. I don't know. But neither way is right or wrong, right? It's all good because the women want to make it special, a retreat, a getaway, a beautiful environment. That's important. Guys, well, we got other things to do on Saturday, so let's eat, let's pray, we got to go. You know, but it's all good. Love for Christ is shown in different ways. So that's Mary and Martha. But there's a second lesson here, guarding our souls. The cares of this world will trap us if we give them too much attention. Martha wanted to honor Jesus in the most amazing way. I have this inkling she was really putting it out there just seems like it. She was really busy. She wanted it to be special, but her anxiety about making it a special event took her to a negative place in her mind and her heart. Her zeal for the temporary things caused her forget, to forget the most important thing, her soul. First things, never neglect your soul life. Believe it, not spending time with God in worship, 
not spending time with God and his word, not spending time with God's people, if we ignore those things, it has negative consequences in our lives. If I find myself sitting at other things' feet besides Jesus, then I will find myself driven by anxiousness, by bitter attitudes, by arguing, by unhappiness, instead of the peace that the Spirit of God can bring me. Neglect your soul life with Jesus, and you start neglecting other important relationships, like your family, like your friends, like your neighbors. I want you to know, Martha's preparing this meal was not a sin. She was doing it to show her love for Christ. But the bitterness and the angst that was growing in her mind and her heart in that moment, if it wasn't a sin already, was certainly taking her there. Martha was accusing the good shepherd of being a bad shepherd. I mean, think about it. Lord, do you not care? that my sister's not helping me. You tell her to help me. You can, you can just see it or hear it, right? You know, the disciples used that exact same phrase when Jesus was sleeping in the boat and they were in the storm on the Sea of Galilee and they woke him up and shook him and said, Lord, do you not care we're about to die? Same exact phrase. Does Jesus not care? We know he cares. The answer is yes. That's the right answer. That's the church answer. That's the Sunday school answer. That's the answer we know that's true. How do we know it's true? By all that Christ does for us. But I love the, what, what he says. Martha, Martha. What tone do you hear in Jesus' voice when he says those words? That, that name. And repeats it. Is it harsh? Is he scolding? Or is he gently encouraging and correcting? What do you hear? Hey, sometime do a study. Uh, just have some fun with it about the times when Jesus says people's names twice and hear the tone in his voice. Like when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac in the altar, Genesis 22. Abraham! Abraham, is, is that how he said it? Or Abraham, Abraham, you know, don't do it. No, I think. <laughs> Moses at the burning bush. Moses, Moses. What, what was the tone of his voice when he was inviting Moses to come near? How about the little boy Samuel in the middle of the night? Samuel, Samuel. How about Elijah twice when, you, when Elijah was on the run? Why are you here, Elijah? Why are you here, Elijah? Hey, youth, we just looked at it Thursday night, right? Simon, Simon, Saint wants to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. Listen to the tone in your God's voice. Rejoice in God's patient grace, his loving care, and don't be stubborn about it. Be glad your heavenly Father lovingly corrects us. And he speaks to us with different tones at times. You and I may not be hearing God's audible voice, but you know the Spirit of God has spoken to you and maybe said your name more than twice. 
whether it's through the word of God when you read it or it's being preached or a friend comes along and gives you counsel, it's like, hey, Matt, hey, Matt, you can fill in your name. Are we responding to his correction? Jesus tells Martha in verse 42, but the one thing, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away, the possession that will never be lost. You know what's interesting? I never saw this before, but Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. That's where she was supposed to be. That's where Martha needed to be. And isn't it interesting that now, in her frustration, she got it out there, it boiled over. She's right where she needs to be at Jesus' feet. Martha, Martha, hearing what her soul needed to hear the most. Instead of her filling Jesus with food, she was sitting down and sitting with Jesus, and he was filling her. What would we do if you're the Martha versus Mary? Well, we would order out Chinese or pizza, but they couldn't do that. But you see, there's a time to sit at Jesus' feet. Jesus loves for us to enjoy his life-giving company. What Martha needed most of all is what I need, what we need most of all, the grace of God that brings salvation, the presence of God in his word that brings us forgive, words of forgiveness and hope and strength to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to be careful not to value the possessions of the world or money or doing what I want to do, but holding on to God. Earth's treasures pass away, and Jesus Christ does not change or ever pass away. You know, Mary was a sinner like Martha, but she got it right this time. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his truth. She was in his presence so that her soul could be filled with heavenly life, so that she could face the imperfect world. There's one thing that's necessary for you, and that's to be in God's presence, listening to his voice speak to you, the things he wants you to know from heaven because he loves you. But secondly, being in God's presence, we need to be there so we can ask him. Relating to our neighbor, relating to Jesus, relating to our Heavenly Father. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say. And then Jesus goes on to tell us what to pray. There's a correct way to approach God. There's a correct way to go before your Father in heaven. It's kind of interesting by the way, that you, when you pray, that's in the plural. So it's about united prayer. It's about coming together to pray, to pray the right things, coming united in our love for God and for our needs for God, a prayer that's showing that we recognize we are totally reliant on God. And, and real quickly, the key subjects are Father, hallowed be your name, 
key subject number one. It has a relationship to do with a relationship with God our Father, recognizing and appreciating who God is. Father, holy is your name. You know, God's transcendent. That means he's, he's above everything. He's set apart. He's holy. And we need his protection and care. There's that relationship. And there's this wonderful balance about calling him Father, but also respecting him in reverence. He's a caring father, but he's not a genie in a bottle that gives me my wishes whenever I, I rub the lamp. Father, you are set apart. Remember who he is and that he's invited you into this loving, caring relationship. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And when we pray for the kingdom to come, boy, Luke really, really simmers this down to real basics. But if you start praying for God's kingdom, then you have to start thinking about God's will. It, it, it gets really big fast. You know, what, what he's talking about is it's loving your neighbor the way God loves you. It, it's all these things. What does God want done in the world? Have you thought about that recently? And then you need to be a part of that. If we're asking for God's kingdom to come, then we need to be a part of bringing that kingdom to come now. Healing, helping, spreading the news of forgiveness through his death, all these things, being a good neighbor. God's ways are to be my ways, your ways his people's ways. You know, when we say your kingdom come, we sang it to do today. What we're saying is, Lord Jesus, come soon, bring it. But while we wait for you, we're going to live out your kingdom in our lives here so the world can see what's coming soon, get a taste of it, and have a chance to receive it. Lord, give us our daily bread. He's our provider. He designed the whole ecosystem to give us what we need. <laughs> you know, there's only one reason people are hungry. It's because of wars, because we're greedy, and because we're uncaring when we see them in need. God's not making it happen. We are. God has provided the means and the grace for people to have their daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. How much evil have I done? And if not with my hands, in my heart. And I need forgiveness. How dare I ask God to forgive me because, well, I'm a nice guy. And not give it to you because I'm saying I deserve it and you don't. There's somebody in your life that you feel like doesn't need or doesn't deserve forgiveness. Don't forget who you are without Christ's forgiveness and his gift of mercy given to you. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And God doesn't measure it out like, well, if I've forgiven 10 people, he'll forgive me 10 times only. It doesn't work that way, but just 
It's the attitude of the heart. Don't be stingy in giving your forgiveness out. And Lord, lead us not into temptation. This is a plea for spiritual protection. God does not lead people into temptation, by the way. God's not there saying, come on, it won't hurt you. Go ahead. He doesn't do that. No one, let no one when he is tempted say, I'm being tempted by God, James tells us, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. We are enticed by our own desires, our own minds and hearts. Now, the Lord's Prayer is correctly called the Lord's Prayer because he taught it to us. But it's also correctly called the Disciples' Prayer because this is how we need to pray. Are we a God-reliant people? Are we a God-reliant church? Lord, teach us to pray. Advertisement. Beginning October 15th, we're going to start a, a six or seven week series on the subject of prayer. That's going to be happening on Sunday mornings at 9.30. It's going to be in English, and Lord willing, I think we can do it in Spanish as well. So the whole church together, I hope you'll join us, will be studying and learning to pray together. Uh, it's a great series because we need to pray for wisdom. When you all pray, it's in the plural. Ask for these things. Praying with one voice for God's will to be done through us. Asking for renewal because we believe in Jesus and we dare to say we will follow where he leads us. Believing there are disciples that need to be made right around us where we live and where we work and where we go to school and that we are part of his kingdom work to get that done. Praying together for God's kingdom to come. I hope you'll join us on Sunday at 9.30 on beginning October 15th. One thing is necessary. Being in God's presence. Listening and asking. Jesus teaches us what to say. His parable teaches us how to persistently pray. Let me just quickly read verse 5. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight don't you ever come to my house at midnight. No. <laughs> but listen to the story. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, this would be me, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his imprudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Culturally, hospitality was like really important in the Mideast, in this culture. And to not have food would be a huge embarrassment. You would be driven to try and find something. It was like a duty, no matter how inconvenient or how unaffordable it would be, you would provide food. And why does the neighbor respond positively, even though he really has some really good reasons not to get this guy the bread after midnight? It wasn't because they were friends. It was because his friend was bold and shameless to ask. That's the lesson. The Greek word here combines boldness and shamelessness. We have this huge need. It's physical. We have a bigger spiritual need. Look at verse 13. We need the Holy Spirit to breathe new life into us, God's life. Don't be ashamed to ask. Dare to ask God for the things you need. If evil people like us can give our children good gifts, how much more our Heavenly Father? But we haven't asked. We haven't knocked. We haven't gone seeking for it. We're willing to say that's just the way it is. It's the way it works out in my life. If we ask God, will he not forgive us? If we seek his forgiveness? If we need wisdom to know how to reach our community, will he not give us the wisdom we need to do it if we ask? Will he not give us the strength and the people gifts we need to make disciples that are out there waiting that Jesus is calling? Here's what Jesus is saying to you and me. Do not be shy, but be bold. Be persistent. Come to me day or night. I don't care what time it is. Ask, seek, and knock until I open the door. There's one thing that's necessary, being in God's presence, listening. Did the Martha and Mary story speak to you today at all? Maybe, maybe not. Are you listening when Jesus says your name? Tell someone today how it challenged your life if it did. Being in God's presence and asking. You know, Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer is a great guide. It's like sharp and precise. And as I ask you these questions, are you a shy prayer or a bold, persistent prayer? And will you be a part of the prayer study and discussion? It's for new and experienced prayers, by the way. Will you come and unite our voices together to pray for God to work in us and through us to change us. Tell someone today, if that's been challenging you, your intentions on maturing 
and your prayer habits. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to be in your presence, to listen, to ask. Spirit of God, teach us to pray boldly and persistently to be in step with your will, and we know that you will answer when we do. Help us to believe and to see it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.